This episode is brought to you by Das London, Blockworks' number one institutional crypto conference where all the top institutions and people in crypto are going to be this March in London, what's becoming maybe the crypto hub of the world. I have a link in the show notes where you can learn more and also a discount code that will get you 20% off. So click the link, find out more, and I'll see you there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we're joined by Yannick from Elusive and Jorit from Light Protocol, which are two of the leading privacy protocols in Solana. Guys, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Gerard. Pumped to have you guys here. Mert, um, he got the ick from Breakpoint. I think most people actually survived, at least from what I see on Twitter. There was no like general sickness, but uh, Mert doesn't have the immune system, so it's just going to be us through today. But um, I want to start with the idea that privacy is a prerequisite for crypto to have mass adoption. Um, like, why do you say that? Like, what is the problem that you're solving with these privacy protocols? And then later we'll get into the details. And Yannick, maybe I'll let you start here. Yeah, sure. So um, I think um, if we if we think about blockchains as this new way of having um, yeah financial transactions on a on a distributed ledger, um, we we need to look at the system that we sought out to replace with this new financial architecture and that would be the traditional financial system um and if i send you money um via bank transfer or paypal um you will not be able to trace all of my past financial activity what i spend my money on what health bills i have to pay or what uh, kind of political donations i do um if we have the status quo public blockchains that would however be the case so i think um starting from the most simple use case of blockchains which would just be financial transactions peer-to-peer um there's a lack of privacy by default um and that's problematic for individuals because they um they require privacy for their autonomy um to 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 freely be able to to spend their funds but also on a larger scale if we look at organizations um that want to move their activities on chain um there's issues there as well if um all of your financial um actions are publicly visible to anyone um but also if if we if we uh, yeah move away from the the financial aspect um the data um of your users the data of your company also cannot be publicly exposed so i think privacy is is core to a lot of applications is core to the individual's autonomy. Um, yeah, so that's why we need some sort of solution that goes beyond pseudonymity provided by um, yeah hashes and and public keys that, that cannot be directly linked to your identity. Yeah, Jorah, what about for you? What was the inspiration for Starting Light? Um, the inspiration to Starting Light goes back actually that I tried to build an application which very much needs privacy at its core voting on um, ethereum um, since your vote can be influenced by seeing the like decision of other people right like this is like the minimal requirement that you don't want that um, which turned out to be quite difficult um, so um, after building it i thought okay i i want to build an infrastructure which enables you to build applications like this, applications for the real world, like um, Yannick just said for uh, like you already need privacy for the simple payments use case, right? But um, even for other use uh, for other use case, even more so like like voting or for any business to go um, like to do business on the 
on the blockchain, right, you have supplier relationships, which you don't want to expose as an example to the general public. It can be actually a competitive disadvantage for you um, to expose this data. So I think there's a, a really big, um, big issue here. And like you stated in the beginning, I think really strongly believe that privacy um, blockchains will not um, be able to reach mainstream adoption um, without um, privacy protocols like we are building. Yeah, I completely agree. Maybe we can touch on the history a little bit of, of privacy and crypto, because it, it is funny in some ways that the people that are initially attracted to crypto are in some ways people who want complete ownership of their data. They, you know, they're maybe worried about where their data is going in servers and how it's being shared and not private. Yet blockchains in general are really all about transparency. You can read everything that's on the blockchain. Um, we saw things like Zcash come out. Um, that was actually at one point, I think some people thought that might surpass Bitcoin because it had privacy and in, like innate into the system. Um, but that didn't work out. I mean, it's still around, but it did obviously did not replace Bitcoin. Um, and you had Monero. So why do you think and, I, and also Light and Elusive just launched this last year. So I'm curious, why do you think this privacy bit has taken a while to maybe catch on or what what was holding Monero or Zcash back? Um, kind of just like the history of that. Yeah, so I think... Um... But what's also interesting, so so um, a few weeks ago, I, I had some Twitter live uh, space discussion about on-chain privacy at Mario Naval's Twitter space. And uh, we were, as guests going in there, expecting some um, yeah, privacy discussion like we're just having. But uh, it was really a privacy discussion about um, the host saying, we don't need privacy, we want transparency because we are some sort of Bitcoin OGs that think um, transparency is key. So that was um, quite unusual because, um, yeah, I think the more mainstream opinion really is that you need need privacy. Um, so Zcash, um, yeah, has been one of the first, um, yeah, full blockchains that have privacy at their um, at their base layer and full privacy meaning yeah both confidentiality anonymity um, and um, Monero on the other hand uses a bit of a different technology but um, can be viewed as the same thing I guess from a from a high level um, I think they haven't really taken off for multiple reasons um, one big reason simply is that um, we have Bitcoin as this one, um, yeah, as, a, as the gold standard, as, as people like to call it. Um, and the other applications like Solana or Ethereum um, really offering smart contracts to be built on their platforms to, to offer those general purpose blockchains. And I think that's a big difference to have those um, blockchains um, with the USP of saying we are a private blockchain versus other blockchains saying we are general purpose blockchains. And what, what we need to realize at the end of the day is that um, the end consumer doesn't care that much about privacy. If we have to um, tell the end consumer, hey, use our app instead of this app, use this blockchain instead of that blockchain um, because we offer privacy, um, I think that's um, problematic simply because um, and consumers don't care that much about privacy, um, that they will go out of their way, choose a verse UX, um, choose, choose a completely new ecosystem. Um, and so I think that's one of the main reasons. Um, another reason I think, um, 
has been um, if you look at different um, legislators and different exchanges not accepting uh, Monero or Zcash, simply this this issue of of compliance. Um, that's um, simply um, yeah the case if you look at I don't know um, um, dark web marketplaces only accepting Monero as their their um, currency. So I think. There is this um, connotation of illicit activity to some degree with those applications. Um, and so I think if those apps um, or, or this, not these apps, this, this blockchains were to have this big mainstream adoption, um, we would see a lot of regulatory action um, to further prevent those, those blockchains to be used. So um, I think it, it comes down to user experience and, and compliance at the end of the day, I think. Um, I think another reason that um, really has been holding back the adoption of privacy and blockchains is that the tech is actually really hard. Like Zcash is the first, uh, to my knowledge, the first um, application which like team that really took zero knowledge, general purpose, zero knowledge proofs into production. And the first um, implementation, the like proofs were very slow. I think it took like a minute to generate like a simple spending proof, something that like we can now do in a second, right? On like a consumer machine. So um, there, there has been, like they they have been pioneering the tech for um, years, and the tooling has really been maturing a lot over the last years. That's why we can now get into building higher level um, privacy um, tooling um, on chains like Solana, with which then can provide the UX um, so that users um, don't have to live with worse UX than um, they will have to with other chains, right? Um, and I think the the other thing. Um, it's really that we need programmability to drive um, large-scale adoption because the the use case, like to be honest, Bitcoin doesn't have that much adoption apart from being having a big market cap, right? Um, so this is like based alone on privacy, it's it's difficult to, to compete. So you need these applications which are uniquely enabled by privacy, which really really needed. Um, and I think on the compliance side, um, you can build applications that are compliant, like in Web2, um, like let's say take an app like Robinhood, it does compliance for like the, the user in the application, right? It um, You can pay your taxes, you disclose your data to the authorities. I think crypto um, apps should act more in that way and improve UX for the user. Um, and then governments are also going to be at ease with this because this is something they know. And I believe that we can structure um, with free applications in this way on the surface so that um, we have the best of both worlds and uh, we don't face a regulatory backlash. I think what's also important at that point, something that, that you mentioned with the one minute proving time on, on Zcash, 
um, just imagine um, um, when when looking at messaging, right? Let's say end-to-end -end encrypted messaging would take you one minute to send an encrypted message to your friend, right? Nobody would be using end-to-end -end encrypted messaging. So, um, yeah, we've seen this great improvement over time and now are finally at a point where we can um, offer those applications. Um, yeah almost seamlessly i guess and uh, one important thing for encryption is actually hardware support right and we're not even there yet at this stage yeah. with um, zero knowledge groups so you can imagine that in the future is going to be even more seamless jordan at a, I, I know you've probably explained this a thousand times but at a high level can you explain what a zk proof is um sure yeah that, i mean like at a high level you um you can prove they um that you know something, right, without actually revealing um, the input data. So in more technical terms, you you will generate a witness, which is your um, private input data, right? Then you will have some some public inputs to actually tie your your proof to um, to something in the real world, like in most like privacy protocols like Zcash or like Light Protocol, this is a Merkle tree um, which you have a commitment in, and then you um, you can prove that. Um, and to stick with the example of the Merkle tree, you can prove that you have a leaf inside this Merkle tree, right, without revealing which leaf this is. Um, uh, I, I like I involuntarily went pretty deep into a technical example there, um, but yeah, and like the gist is that you you have this wonderful technology which lets you prove that something uh, that you know something without showing. Yeah, an example I think of, which I, I don't know if this is the best representative, but is like if you wanted to get into a bar and prove that you're 21, you don't have to pull out your ID and they can see all your information, but you can. Pr they just know that you're older than 21, but they don't know what your age is. Um, and ZK proofs allow you to show that. And um, Yannick, I know like you both talked about composability, and that's one thing that with like Zcash you don't have because there's not like an ecosystem built on top. And I think you've mentioned it would be like if you had, you know, your friend or your mom um, go on the web browser and there's HTTP and HTTPS, which is secure, um, which helps with encryption, keep your data safe. If you had to switch browsers to actually access HTTPS, people probably just wouldn't do it. Um, but the sense that it's actually like built into the browser, it makes it really easy and, and essentially like composable. So I'd like to get into actually how light and elusive work. Um, and let's get into some of the technical details, but I really want to know like what it looks like from a user's point of view, like from the user's perspective. And, and Yannick, maybe you can start. Yeah, sure. So um, I think um, it makes sense to, to, to just explain some, some similarities that, that both of us share. Um, so you talked about zero knowledge proofs. Um, both of us heavily use zero knowledge proofs. And um, what we use is a special kind of zero knowledge proof, so-called CK SNARKs, um, which are just a gold standard, I guess, of zero knowledge proofs, at least from 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 my perspective, um, with them being very compact, very fast to be verified. Um, and so how um, we add privacy on-chain is basically we have um, in the zero knowledge proof setup, we have basically always two parties involved. We have the party involved that holds the secrets, that wants to prove something about the secrets they're holding. 
and we have the verifier. And the verifier is simply a smart contract on the blockchain or the blockchain itself. Um, and what the user proves at the end of the day in their zero knowledge proof, um, and that's a similarity that we share, is um, some value um, in our Merkle tree that's on chain. And we can realize this Merkle tree structure for the user to basically prove, just as you described with, I'm over the age of 21. What that at the end of the day is, is a proof that you're um, in the age subset of ages um, larger or equal to 21. Um, in our case, that would be I'm part of the subset or I know something out of the subset of all of the assets of all users, basically. And with that, we can um, create what's called a multi-asset shielded pool. So we have a smart contract that holds the assets um, of all users and all users have some cryptographic data structures that are being stored on chain. And then the users generate zero knowledge proof at, uh, a, a zero knowledge proof about um, this encrypted data that is stored on chain in order for those users then to be able to privately transfer those funds to to other parties. So I think those are the similarities for us using CK snarks and multi-asset shielded pools, Merkle trees, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think um, so some some fundamental differences. Um, what what we attempt with elusive, um, and that's something that I I talked about um, a lot last week at at Breakpoint, and also gave a keynote about is what we call um, SUS zero knowledge encrypted user safeguarding, which is our new decentralized compliance approach to to bake compliance into um, this um, yeah multi asset shielded pool basically at its core. Um, and have a rule-based compliance um, in contrast to, let's say, discretionary compliance that would rely on the user to, to become active. So this built-in decentralized compliance is, is a big part of our vision. Um, and then also the way we go about um, yeah, moving or adding privacy to, to applications. So um, we, we started off with basically allowing for private access to public applications. Basically, at the end of the day, adding an incognito mode um, to your wallet, adding an incognito mode to your on-chain activities. Um, and um, yeah, I guess um, what, what you guys mostly focus on is really private execution. Um, so to have this private state by default versus allowing this, this private access to public applications. Um, and I think why having this, this private access to public applications is so powerful is um, simply because we have this um, heap of public applications that need privacy or rather the users need privacy when interacting with them. But um, we cannot just shift all of those applications at once to become fully private, to, to rethink their architectures in a private way. Um, instead, um, basically um, going in at the entry and exit points of those smart contracts. Um, yeah, and by that allowing um, a high level of, of privacy. Um, yeah, and so we, we allow that with our elusive SDK. Um, and um, yeah, I think we can maybe talk about that on a um, later stage 
but that might also be be too much. But um, with with our MPC architecture that we are designing, um, what we are also looking at is adding autonomy basically to to um, yeah private applications. So if you have a private state application that um, yeah, allows the user to to execute that application using a zero knowledge proof. Um, I think a significant missing piece is having autonomy in that system. Let's say we are thinking about um, yeah, some, some auctioning system where we don't want, if the auctioning um, process has ended, um, some party to manually have to, to claim something. We, we want that we want to have some sort of autonomy. And I think having homomorphic encryption and multi-party computations um, that we, we utilize with our SUS network um, yeah, can, can add this additional component to, to privacy. Um, yeah, so to boil it down, build in decentralized compliance and also um, private access to applications. Yeah, no, it's to, to like get out of the weeds just for a second to make sure people that are normies like me understand all this. I have just like a few quick follow-up questions. So when you talk about compliance, for example, at a high level, would it be like, I'm going to a bank, I need to get a loan for my new business, whatever it is. They need to see for whatever reason, some of my transactions, my balance, et cetera. Um, but maybe everything's been done through a privacy protocol like Light or Elusive. And I need to prove to them that I have some amount or I've made certain transactions. There is still a way for me to essentially, is it like take a receipt or whatever it might be from the privacy protocol and prove to the bank like, hey, I actually made these transactions. This is my my account balance. Is that what you mean almost? Yeah, by sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's that's what what also has been been possible with tornado cash i guess um this level of compliance so um that's what i would call um or or you would normally call discretionary compliance measures so um it's up to the individual's discretion to to share information about um about their private state right so um i guess that's that's basically also the core of of what privacy is about it means you have ownership over the data and that means you can share your data with third parties so you can share your data with a bank generate a zero knowledge proof about your data and and prove something to the bank um that's one part about compliance but um the the bigger problem that that we are trying to resolve really is um the issue of illicit finance in in those um systems i guess so um, that's really the, the pressing issue. And that's also what, what regulators and, and legislators, um, fear the most are illicit financial activities. And, um, we've seen a big growth actually in, in illicit finance on chain. And, um, if we want to go mainstream as, as this technology and we want to mature as, as a ecosystem, I guess, um, we need to find some way to to combat that. Um, and also, if we if we think about um, some of the initial um, core principles of of blockchain, right? This this transparency, where we where we said, okay, finally we are able to beat the corruption the traditional finance system has. Finally, we can beat the opaqueness. Um, that's um, yeah, that's great. Um, but also um, comes with risks involved. So I think we need to be honest about potential risks and need to find a way to resolve that without having to rely on any centralized actors, right? So I think that's actually a huge opportunity to to build those systems, 
and then educate regulators about the potential to have some sort of self-regulation that is permissionless and decentralized. Um, so that's really what we are trying to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And Jord, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more just from your end with Light Protocol. And one thing maybe to touch on that'd be useful is thinking through like if I was a new user on Solana and I'm using Phantom is like maybe, you know, Yannick mentioned incognito mode where I either want to um, send a transfer to someone or maybe I think with Light, I want to take out a loan with, a you know, lend and borrow protocol. Um, what does that look like even from my wallet? Like, do I need to go to a, you know, Light's homepage and say, I want to make this transaction or is the ideal goal is just I'm in my phantom wallet, for example, and I hit like incognito and the transaction happens privately. So the like, um, the absolute end goal is that you have this built in your wallet, your default transaction is private. And if you can just um, for you, it feels like interacting with any other DeFi protocol on Solana, right? You shouldn't have to hit incognito mode in the first place. I think this is like one one step too many. If something is opt-in, most people are not going to use it, right? Mm. Um, so um, I think this is this is the approach we are um, we are going for with Light Protocol um, to really have this default privacy default um, private app, um, applications with ZK execution. Um, for some applications, you will want to um, leave that. Um, you will not want to build them in ZK. For example, like really scale, like high frequency order books, like you will still have to delay like additional overhead from the ZK proofs, right? You might still want to build that in normal um, Solana smart contracts. But um, like, for example, taking a loan, right? This is like a um, process which is not, um, um, which is not being conducted a lot of times. Like it's okay if there's a bit more overhead involved. And um, yeah, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good example, which would actually be pretty straightforward to build with the technology that we have built now today. Actually, maybe let's let me get into um, that as well, like what we've actually built. Um, so, like I, I think Yannick already talked a lot about the similarities, right? The, the, it boils down to you have the smoker tree on chain, you have a verifying like contract which um, verifies your um, uh, your snark proof on chain. Um, I believe both of us are using Growth sixteen proofs right now. Um, you uh, and um, what we have, um, and you have your multi-asset shielded pool. So what we've added to this is this um, the possibility that you build your PSP on top of this, which means adding um, your custom logic proof on top of your um, shielded pool transaction. Um, sounds uh, more complicated than it actually is. Um, it is really like um, if you if you look at it, you you really just like declare essentially the the data that goes into the proof, right? And then you you say, okay, um, for a loan, for example, I want like certain conditions to be met, and you define them there in your PSP. Like if you are um, 
an anchor developer you can you can like it will take a bit of time it's going <laughs> you will chew glass but um it's it's possible for anyone to build this um for any solana developer to build this and george um, when you say psp you're talking about private solana programs right is that what that stands for yes yes exactly so this is our this is our program um yeah this is our execution environment uh private solana programs um you're you're building a solana program which has its logic in um defined in a zero knowledge uh, proof circuit um so what it does essentially is it takes the computation instead of um usually being on chain right the solana consensus makes it trustless that your um computation is uh, yeah that uh, it's deterministic and trustlessly executed on chain um the zero knowledge proof enables you to execute your um computation off chain um this is also how you how you achieve um privacy and then verify this computation and disguise your custom psp private solana program logic on chain this is a really really powerful primitive which is in particularly um very well suited to work with account compression because account compression actually stores your data in call data um and not in a pda not in an account on solana so the the data is not actually not accessible on chain you you just have committed to this data on chain but in um with ck proofs because your uh, your your computation is happening off chain anyway you don't have to send the data on uh, to the chain as you just um have your have your data off chain as well so it goes very well through. how realistic is it like do you think in the future that the majority of transactions are going to be private by default and if that is the world that we end up at, I'm curious, like one, how long you think that would take? And then two, this is kind of random, but do, uh, do explorers just like fall apart? Because right now, you know, like our analysts are on explorers all day, like tracking transactions, tracking what's happening on with Uniswap. Does that just implode or what's going to happen? I mean, there will still be public state, right? Um, there, there are still plenty of applications, um, for which you will need private stake. So, um, uh, explorers will still be like um, exist in a different form, but yeah, it's an interesting, um, interesting thought, right? To actually you see your own transaction history, that you will need to go to your wallet, not the explorer, right? uh, which makes things a bit different. That's also um, so so interesting about um, I guess both of our projects um, building building on Solana really this thesis of um, yeah, having some sort of a hybrid um, to what degree that might be um, between having super fast public transactions, having not as fast, but also, I guess, compared to other um, chains and uh, proof verifiers, super fast proof verification. So to, to have this, um, yeah, private and public um general purpose chain i think um is really the future we are we are heading to um yeah definitely um and to go to your second question like how how long will this take and will it be feasible i i very much think that it's um feasible i mean in the in the past if you look at other 
emergent ecosystems, right? Until it, for Solana itself, until it, like how long it takes to attraction. I mean, it's um, probably in a number of years, right? Um, until you get really like a really big established ecosystem based on these. Um, yeah, we are in the early beginnings, but I'm, I'm very excited and optimistic. Quick break to tell you about an upcoming event I promise you don't want to miss. It's BlockWorks' biggest and best institutional conference called DAS London. It's a two-day event happening in London this March. We're going to have over 700 institutions, 130 speakers, and a couple thousand of us all under one roof. Crypto is in a position for the first time to actually onboard these institutions, and they're showing up. We have companies from BlackRock to Visa launching real products in the space. We have the real-world asset narrative taking off. We have things like payments that have been exponentially growing. And then we have things like DeepEnd happening in the Solana ecosystem. There's a ton of capital right now, and this institutional space is going to be coming on chain. It's going to completely change the industry. Whether you are an institution or you're a retail user, or you just want to learn more about what's going on in the space, this conference is for you. You're going to be able to meet some of the best and smartest people in the space. The speaker lineup is absolutely incredible and you'll get to hang out with me. But the best part is you actually get 20% off your ticket if you use Lightspeed 20 when checking out. That's Lightspeed 20. I put a link in the show notes. Um, I recommend buying this today because one, you'll forget about it. Two, these ticket prices go up every single month. So anyways, I hope to see you there. Now, let's get back to the show. Is this where using standards, I would assume, help um, across protocols because like one thing with Ethereum and you have rollups and you have all these bridges and you have validating bridges and you have ZK proofs coming into that and uh, one big question is yeah great it's these bridges will be wonderful if they all work perfectly and there's no bugs in there but the more bridges you have maybe you know the more bugs and vulnerabilities there could be if I think of like 90% or 50% whatever it is of transactions on Solana or private um, does that add like a big risk surface area or is it using these standards that are well tested over time like how do you see that playing into this because as just like if i imagine myself at like bank capital and i'm just like oh they're adding this complicated zk solution on top of solana like is this actually going to affect um some type of backdoor bug um it's actually i think our tech is relatively simple in comparison to these um bridges for example which um, like if you bridge between blockchains, you have incompatible execution environments. You're doing like complicated things to get around these constraints. So, and also um, a lot of like these ZK proofs in particular, they get really big, really complicated. It's a lot of code. Like our circuits, like the the logic defining our ZK proofs is in the hundreds of lines of code. Um, um, and it's written in uh, Circum. Uh, probably most of you will not know what Circum is, but it's like the most established and tested um, DSL to write these these circuits. And the proving system we've built is from 2000, uh, we are using is from 2016. It's um, the gold standard um, of, of zero knowledge proofs. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't, um, I don't see, it. I see, of course, you're, you're building in a different environment. Um, we, we still need to learn, but it's, um, the attack surface is, is not like remotely as big as four bridges. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a, that's a good point, actually. Um, if we look at those, those circuits that, um, that we use, um, if we have those compact size circuits, but I think it would even be the case for larger size circuits if they are um, compartmentalized. Um, what we can do is formal verification, for example. Um, and at the end of the day, those 
arithmetic circuits are quite simple logic consisting of additions and multiplications. And so I think um, having um, those, having some um, yeah, fixed um, static circuits that have been audited, tested, formally verified, I think doesn't really increase attack surface for the blockchain um, simply um, like it doesn't increase attack surface for the blockchain if some new system program were to be added and that system program has a um, thorough process of, again, auditing, formal verification and, and public development. Um, yeah, so I think that um, shouldn't be the biggest fear, of course. Uh, we need to be cautious because, um, again, those um, circuits can also um, lead to new kinds of bugs um, that one might not have, have anticipated since it's um, yeah, a, a new environment. And um, But yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, um, since this area is also being developed by, I guess, experts, cryptographers, um, it's not the um day to day developers that that um touch this cryptography so i think um if you're cautious we should be fine mm. that makes sense one more like from a user standpoint like marginfy right now um i could take out a loan on on solana would marginfy essentially have to like integrate with live or you know lucifer protocol solution or to more be there needs to be a protocol built from the ground up within something like light or elusive where that loan that I'm taking out can be private. So um I'm I so so basically there's there's multiple layers to that. Um if we want um the the most simple um easy integration, how it will look like for us would just be um yeah you at the entry point using the elusive SDK. Um so that could be the margin file user interface, that could be your wallet. Um, any entry point from your assets leaving the shielded pool, entering uh, margin file, and then from margin file again entering through the SDK the shielded pool. That would be the most simple um, solution that wouldn't require margin file to redevelop their whole protocol from the start. Um, and then taking an, a, a step further, um, that would then require this protocol to become fully private and the question is is that reasonable um do we do we want that um from a user's perspective also from a protocol's perspective i think um Jared mentioned that earlier with high frequency trading for example so if we look at um something like um jupiter orca um those um, um those kinds of applications um what we would have to do is to build a completely new private order book um to to have all of that private liquidity then have um some some automation most likely then using multi-party computations in place um which all at the end of the day will result in a lower frequency trading um and so the question again at this point would become is privacy important enough for users to sacrifice this previously had a user experience. So I think for such applications, it's, it's, um, very advantageous to simply have this 
um, entry and exit logic um, you can think of as a sandwiching at the end of the day, right? So you have a single Solana transaction. First instruction would be um, you getting your zero knowledge proof verified in the elusive program and then your funds leaving the elusive shielded pool or calling an instruction in Marginfy. And then the funds you, you get from that um, basically exiting Marginfy and in the last instruction being publicly inserted again into this um, asset pool into your private balance. So what would be publicly seen is that someone took out a loan um, of a specific size um, that would be the details um, visible at that point, which um, I think would be reasonable um, to have. Yeah. Mm. So um, the the issue I see with, with and the reason why we don't um, like follow this this approach by by default is that what you do then is you offload the um, you you offload the responsibility for to to be private um pretty much to to the user right because um and you you um the like the more information is visible on chain by by the user um the more, the easier it is to to see to like to put the pieces together um and make match patterns and see like who who is doing doing what like and in theory i think like everything um like this sandwiching could um work work great but in, in practice users will just enter a privacy protocol and then take out a loan immediately right in this case you you see the the input traffic into the protocol then the the exact same amount yeah but yeah but 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 that would and basically be be the case if if all you were to do is use that privacy protocol for for that one application but having the privacy protocols sdk as i stated for example be at the user's fingertips in the wallet or in all of the user interfaces that wouldn't be an issue anymore because then you would have instead of your wallet the multi-asset shielded pool that is then being used by by all of those users. Um, so I think um, you're right with um, this approach not offering the same level of privacy that, yeah, basically having fully private state does. Um, but I think what's important to realize is that, um, yeah, especially if you look at things like Alio or Aztec, um, there has been this 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 issue i think in this privacy space um of of building in a vacuum um and um basically building just to build and not considering that we actually need adoption and need to gain attraction um and so we need to align those things in some way um and i think it's not the right solution all the time to simply provide a completely new framework for developing things because then at the end of the day you also outsource um then basically the adoption to yeah um you margin file please rebuild your application privately if we say margin file please add this sdk which allows the users to access your protocol from the existing 
shielded pool that they already use. Um, I think that can be a reasonable, um, yeah, solution in between and more long term, we can shift to fully private state. But I think it's just takes time as you outlined earlier. It will take time until you reach this point where everything is private. So we need to successively, um, step by step, um, move towards that stage. I'm what you just um, say yourself. Like it takes takes time to to get this adoption. So um, the, this is also the time where it's um, very easy for the user to to reveal themselves because of unsafe user patterns, right? Um, I mean, this is the same point I made before. Um, like the more the more like public stake you have the easier it is to, to match patterns. So that's why we're going for the approach that by default, as much as possible, should be as um, as, uh, as private as possible on, on chain. Um, this doesn't mean that the approach, for example, I, I don't know the margin file protocol very well, apart from it, that it takes loans. So I don't know if it's the, the exact right application to build with private state, right? Some some applications for some application makes sense for for others uh, it makes less sense and in the beginning private um, applications are going to be built with private state which are actually being uniquely enabled by private state um, for example an interesting example there are certain games right um, for example games which which rely on that you on fog of war, right? That you don't know everything that's going on on the map, which is um, right now, if you, yeah, you need you need a private state tool for something like this, right? Um, and this is something where it's right not not possible right now to build a fully on chain game with this. That's actually a, a good point um, on chain on-chain games with, with private state. And that's also where, um, yeah, that's, that's, um, with, with our MPC network, that's, that's something that we've been looking at, right? So you have this, um, let's say fog of war, um, kind of scenario where every player, um, encrypts their, um, location. Um, and, and you have this, this cool setup where now the, the user can, can prove to be at some location on the map. Um, now, if you have um, multiplayer applications, um, that becomes more difficult because now um, you basically want to say, okay, under certain conditions, I want to autonomously reveal the location of one player to another player if they are in close proximity. Um, so I think for, for things like that, then we need to look at FHE and MPC. So um, yeah, things get, get complex um, quite click, uh, quickly, but um, those systems enable completely new kinds of of um, of applications at some point within the next few years. Whereas right now we need um, we need to trust, let's say, gaming companies to to um, run their servers and not take down their servers. We can at some point maybe get uh, fully autonomous worlds that use CK and MPC. And homomorphic encryption to to yeah add ownership even in such scenarios back to to gamers I guess yeah 
to to jump in real quick and i think i'll probably need your guys' help on this but i'm going to try to explain this to the to the to the listener uh, when you say homomorphic computation there we go i was able to say it and group um yeah <laughs> at a high level, right? That's essentially, um, let's say you're able to do computation on encrypted data as if it wasn't encrypted, but it's never actually revealed. Um, yeah, exactly. So if you compare MPC and, and homomorphic encryption, so I think homomorphic encryption basically means you have your data, you encrypt that, so it's in an encrypted representation, and then you perform arbitrary computations on that data, which again yields some data in this encrypted um, a representation, then the owner of the data could decrypt it. And it would be the same result as if the user just performed those computations on the unencrypted data. So that means this computation can now be outsourced. So the user doesn't have to perform those computations. Instead, a smart contract, for example, can run those computations without gaining knowledge about the data. Um, so something like this can, can, can add uh, confidentiality to, to execution. Um, multi-party computations um, can on a high level be viewed as a sort of zero knowledge proof in themselves. Um, but instead of just having a prover that wants to prove something to a verifier, we have multiple parties that want to prove something basically. And proving something means at the end of the day, perform a computation. and um, the caveat now is that those parties mutually distrust each other. Um, so each of them holds a private key and they want to, or I think the, the simplest example would just be, we have 10 employees who want to compute their average salary, but none of them want to share their actual salary with each other. So that will be a classical multi-party computation um, use case. And so what they do at the end of the day is they, use their own private values to generate a sort of proof, which then proves, okay, the average salary is X, Y, Z. Um, and so all of them are happy and can verify that the output is correct. So that would be MPC. Um, and um, yeah, I think the, the interesting puzzle piece here is that um, if we apply homomorphic encryption or more specifically, FHE, so fully homomorphic encryption. Um, we can perform any computations on data, but the data still needs to be decrypted, I guess, by the um, by the corresponding owner of that data. And with MPC, we can do things like threshold decryption, threshold encryption, and and can distribute data ownership into again a large distributed network. Um, and so. Combining both, um, we are able to, to run arbitrary computations and then under some algorithmic conditions, reveal something about the data, um, expose some of the information, um, which I think is, is interesting as we just, as I just outlined with this gaming example, um, using it for, for something like this. Maybe to, to expand a bit on that. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. I, one thing to, um to add there is that this technology is still like in the very like maybe where zk in general was five years ago i would say still like homomorphic and fully homomorphic encryption is still very much very early and very difficult to use um 
So I, I see approaches like this are a bit further out in, in mainstream adoption or like um, than ZK proofs like we are using in the um, private Solana programs. Yeah, totally, totally agree. So, um, so B basically, um, we, if I, if I dive into some of the technological stuff, so MPC basically has been around for since forever, uh, at least feels like that, um, in the, in the crypto space. Um, and for, for our multi-party computations, we actually use homomorphic encryption in the multi-party computations. And there's, uh, a multitude of of different kinds of homomorphic encryption um we we have different phases in the mpc so we have one single um initial setup phase for the mpc and in that we use fhe which um is inefficient we also use zero knowledge proofs for that but um for the initial setup phase for the key generation phase um that's not an issue and then for the actual execution phase um, what we are able to use is so-called somewhat homomorphic encryption, um, which basically means it's not fully homomorphic encryption. It's only, um, yeah, allowing, um, additions to be executed homomorphically and multiplications not. Um, and so there's this, this balancing act between technologies to, to make, to make the execution as efficient as possible with a storage set the tools that are available um, at this day and age in an efficient way. Yeah, those explanations helped a lot. I know um, the average retail listener like me is probably going to need to listen to this three times, but the the analogies and everything are very helpful. We're coming up on an hour, but I'd like to pivot onto one more topic before we go on and enjoy it. Maybe we can start with you. I'm just thinking, I know Solana just launched a new token program where it's like coming out in phases, um, Token 22, and um, or to- token 2022, and uh, they have confidential transfers, which adds some you know type of privacy, not into necessarily the base layer, but the Solana program library. Um, but my bigger question is really like as a developer working on privacy in Solana, um, or even like any type of what people would call monolithic layer, do you often do you ever feel like you're um, held back by the lack of features maybe at the base layer or some type of precompile that would you know make cheap cheaper transactions? I know in Solana everything's so cheap anyways right now that that, that doesn't matter. Um, is there a use case to say like, hey, we actually need like a roll up or a layer on top of Solana because we can't do everything we want to because the base layer is not moving fast enough to support our privacy features that we need. I'm just curious like how you think about that at a high level. Great. I mean, you you touched on several things there, right? So, um, token token twenty two, uh, like with the zk token, is, is super interesting, but um, like different from from Light Protocol and Elusive, since it um, has confidential transfers. Um, it's like some interesting mix of bulletproofs and uh, homomorphic encryption, um, which um, like is um, maybe enough for for some use cases. But you can still like you work with encrypted values on chain and you see them change them. So you see like essentially who interacts with whom. So for example, for payments, like imagine you pay at a gas station, right? Um and you, you could essentially track um um your prof um the user because you see at which gas stations the user has paid. Right. So, so this wouldn't be enough for, for a payment use case like this. For, for other use cases, maybe I've, I've heard that, um, somebody's working on settlements with this, which, which might be fine, right? If only the transactions, um, are private. Um, different, uh, part of, about the roll up part. Um, 
Yes, we we have been. Um, we, I'm very excited about uh, the pre-compiles for the AltBN uh, 128 curve. We have been building as a syscall into the Solana runtime. It got merged like pretty much a year ago, and um, the, um, it's going to um, make the verification of zero knowledge proofs a lot cheaper than they are now. Even though Solana is so fast and cheap, verification of zero knowledge proofs it this time on mainnet is still very expensive. It will take you tens of transactions to actually get like a zero knowledge proof verified. So the, the light we want right now, which is live, is not as fast as we would like um, it to be. So this is why we we went at the like very bottom level and built these um, pre-compiles, which will allow you to, um, to verify a zero knowledge proof in less than 200,000 uh, compute units. So one atomic Solana transaction will um, enable you to uh, verify zero knowledge proof. So Light V3, um, which will launch as soon as the pre-compiles go live, hopefully in 117. So um, right now it's it's scheduled for beginning of, of February, if nothing changed. Um, in the past, it has changed a couple of times, so I really hope. Joy, how would how would you describe a pre-compile to like a non-techie? Um, so it's really it's a piece of code that's in um, that's directly built into the Solana runtime and has um, like in the Solana runtime is a virtual machine, right? So the the how expensive operations are is in like on a high level, it's arbitrary. I mean, of course, in, in reality, it's not completely arbitrary. <laughs> Otherwise, um, you, you, these operations still are executed on hardware. They will cost you something. Um, so this is a special piece of code for which uh, like uh, different rules apply. So they are, there's a specific price set to execute this operation. And it's built um, directly into the runtime. So this makes, um, and then like the jump guys with higher dancer are going to lengths to implement this on custom hardware, really optimizing the implementations there um, to make it more efficient. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a different piece of code in the runtime for which different rules apply. Gotcha. And, and, and because of that, like you said, you can get cheaper, like these proofs could be much cheaper to prove, um, for example. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. And one we and um, so this this is the verification um, pre-compile is um, one uh, one with which we have built. And we also like we mentioned a couple of times before we have a Mercury right for a Mercury you need hash functions. Um, unfortunately, we cannot rely on the standard hash functions um, because they are very inefficient in zero knowledge proofs. So we've built an additional pre-compile for the Poseidon hash function which is the, the standard hash functions, which is used in conjunction with zero knowledge proofs on Growth 16. Um, so this one um, is also in 117. So we hope um, that this one is also going to go live soon after. So with these two pre-compiles, one um, basic light um, asset transfer is going to be in one transaction. One Solana, so one is going to be one shielded transaction equals one Solana transaction. And this really eliminates the the need to um, build rollups, um, fortunately. 
which we are very happy about because it adds a lot of complexity, um, which and like issues with composability, um, as uh, probably many people are aware of. So um, yeah, it's it's really it's really not ne um, not necessary to to build rollups, um, and if you if you will. Um, um, I, I like compressed accounts are actually pretty pretty similar to to rollups on on Ethereum, um, since you you put the data on chain as for data availability, but um, and with zk and compressed accounts, you essentially um, put the execution also of chain chain. So you could, in some weird way, say that uh, PSPs are rollups which just settle directly on Solana. Um, but yeah, it's where these uh, technologies kind of like um, intertwine, and so it's just solving different problems because we don't have to solve for scalability mm. like like people need to do on Ethereum. So yeah, no yeah, I, and 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 I think that 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 really ties into um, yeah why both of us are at the end of the day also building on on solana it's um this ecosystem that is fast moving um has this openness to to new um uh, to new technologies even at the base layer um simply by by solana wanting to um to be as composable as possible so we don't want to have some external settlement we want to have everything um, happen on the base layer. So, um, I think that's a very powerful characteristic of the, of the Solana ecosystem, I have to say. Yeah. Awesome. Those are great answers. Um, George, yeah, it's like, obviously the stuff can sound really complicated, I think to like the average user, but I think it's also easy to realize like how much we need privacy. I was just talking to somebody in the office and you're we applying for a New York apartment and you have to give your like financials and they have to make sure you make enough and so forth. And you're basically handing over your life to someone that you have no idea who they are. And if you could use some type of, you know, ZK tech or proofs, um, it could really be game changing. Um, and also just protect your data in ways that you don't know what it's being used for now. Um, so I think everybody can relate to that at least. So guys, thank you so much for joining. I'm going to put links uh, to your projects in the show notes. Everybody should go check it out. But um, yeah, guys, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. Likewise, thanks for having us. Sweet. We'll see you next time. All right. I've got a little ending note here. First, thank you so much for listening to the full episode. If you really liked it, hit subscribe. But secondly, make sure you sign up for DAS. This is BlockWorks' biggest institutional conference happening in London in March. I've included a link in the show notes and also a discount code. Get 20% off. Make sure to use Lightspeed20 when you sign up. All right. I'll see you there. And I'll see you next time on Lightspeed. <laughs>